0: Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Wood of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. And he sat down, talking about Jesus, and he called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Mark chapter 10 verse 43 says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you. Must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are in week three. Power comes back on. There it is. That was a good prayer. You guys are awesome you got more power than I thought you had. (laughs) Childhood memories tend to distort uh, the true size of things. Things that when we were little we thought were huge. Now if you go back and revisit those same things as an adult, they all seem to be pretty small. I remember going back to buildings, even when I first got saved, going back to churches that when I first got saved, I thought were really, really huge. Now going back all those years later, I'm like, well, that wasn't really big after all. Sometimes you get that honey who shrunk my past sort of mentality. Some years ago, I took my youngest daughter, Brooke, to Disneyland. She was only about three or four years of age. I was all excited. She gets to feed the mice, get to meet the mice. It was going to be good. And I thought she'd be excited to meet Mickey and to meet Minnie Mouse. And when we got there and I took her up to the characters rather than embracing them and thinking it would be really good, she freaked out. She was not happy to meet them and and, and held me and wouldn't go close to them. And and I couldn't work out why. I, I spoke to our children's pastor about it and she said to me well it's not unusual in your mind your take they're just normal size characters but to your child these are overwhelmingly big sort of like animations that are very very intimidating when you're small small things can seem big but when you are big even the big things can appear small Size is often a result of our perspective. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, But it shall not be so among you, whoever would be great among you, he says, must be your servant. Leadership greatness to Jesus is, in, is found in what I would term as a perpetual opposite day. If you want to be the most important person in the room, then you must make yourself the least important person in the room. It's the opposite. Leadership is not about how many servants that you have. It's the opposite. How many people do you serve? In the kingdom of God, elevation in the kingdom doesn't begin from the top. It begins from the bottom, a position of humility. Humble yourself, the Bible says, in the sight of the Lord. In other words, become the smallest, become the least, become the lowest, and He will elevate you. In the kingdom of God, your humility empowers you to defy leadership gravity. It will take you higher than you ever thought you could go before. Why? Because humility deals with arrogance. Humility deals with us being self-centered. Humility deals with pride. Humility deals with insecurity, and insecurity is literally a form of pride. When kingdom greatness is in your spirit, humility is never an issue. When you know who you are in Jesus, you never have to prove who you are to anyone. There's something very good about being comfortable in your own skin. A lot of church leaders, when they're young, pastors when they're young, struggle to get comfortable in their own skin or get comfortable with their own voice. Somebody was asking me just the other day uh, what it's like pastoring now compared to when I was younger. And I said, well, I, I think right now I'm a massively better pastor and leader today than I was back then. Now, I was cooler back then, but I'm better now. And, and the reason when you're starting out you're trying to find your rhythm, you're trying to find out who you are, you're trying to get relationships and friendships, you're trying to get uh, comfortable with you, even as a preacher, even in your own voice, I being as a young preacher, somebody came to our church and they're like, oh, your church is just like a big youth group, and you're always funny, and you're the funny man, you're cracking the funny jokes, and, and I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't be, these people all look like they've been baptized in lemon juice, So maybe, maybe I should be a bit depressing too, and and I listened to a friend of mine preach this message and he told sad stories and they were awesome. And I thought to myself, I can tell a sad story. And so the next week I, I put the sad story in my message and I crushed it. it. It was sad. Like people are openly sobbing. The story is so sad. People are openly sobbing in the meeting. And then I got to the end of my story and I didn't know what to do. Because to me, if there's not some sort of level of laughter, I don't think there's any anointing in the building. And so I I was just not, I was was trying to be something I wasn't. And so now I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with my preaching style. I know who I am. All my friends have been my friends for decades. I'm not trying to impress people so I can gain friendships. All my friends know the best of me and the worst of me and everything in between. And so you just get to a point where you can get comfortable in who you are and comfortable with your own voice. When you're like that, you never have to prove to anybody who you are. My uncle Ray, he's passed now. He's in heaven. But he was an unbelievably wealthy man. He was like a multi, multi millionaire. Struck coal on his property when I was just a young boy, made great investments. But if you met my Uncle Ray, if he walked in here today, you would walk right past him. You wouldn't think he was wealthy. You wouldn't give him any consideration because he just didn't look like what we would think a rich person would look like. I took my pastor friend of mine, Phil Camden, to visit my uncle. They lived in the same city, Newcastle, and Uncle Ray lived uh, up on this uh, mountain, sort of like a Great, beautiful view of 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 the ocean, and we went up to visit him. And when we got to the house, it was just a really ordinary house. Nothing wasn't a mansion. It wasn't a house you would attribute to a wealthy person. And my friend is looking at me like, "Yeah, I don't think you're telling me the truth." We go in, and my uncle Ray, he's like, got shorts on that he probably bought on the discount rack at Target he's got like an old t-shirt on wearing flip-flops the house is just very there's nothing ornate in the house he just looked like an ordinary person that you would call the millionaire next door why is he dressed like that because he's not trying to impress you he knows who he is why is he dressed like that he doesn't impress you he knows how wealthy he is but my friend Phil was looking out uh, the window. He's in Redhead in Newcastle. This beautiful view of the ocean. And my, my friend Phil, who wasn't that impressed, says to my uncle, what stops those houses just down below here building your view out and blocking your view? He said, it was simple. I own all of those houses. <laughs> when you know who you are, you never have to prove who you are. It's easy to make yourself the smallest when you know you are the biggest. When I'm playing with my grandson, Marcus, he's three. So it would be easy to overpower him. But when we're playing games, I'm coming running at him, and he puts his little three-year-old hand up and goes, Powers! Powers! He's got enough power to make me stop. He wins every battle, wins every fight. Why? Because I allow it to happen. I've got nothing to prove by beating him. And so when you know the power ratio is disproportionate, it's easy for you to yield in those moments. Jesus said, when you know who you are, it's easy to become humble and make yourself a servant. Now, modern leadership teaching teaches us that it's your attitude, not your aptitude that determines your altitude. But I believe Jesus took it up a step even further. He said, it's your your attitude and your servitude that determines your altitude, not your aptitude. It's how you think and it's how you serve. To illustrate the point, Jesus grabs a child who in that Culture was considered the least, no no value. It's not like cute. We talked about this, it's not like cute little Johnny. He had no value. And he places the child in the middle. In other words, he makes the child the center of everyone's attention. The child, the least now, becomes the focal point. And he takes the child in his arms, and now he makes the child the object of his embrace. He makes the one who feels like he has no value feel incredibly valued. That right there is the perfect example of a servant leader's heart. It makes those who feel like they have no value feel incredibly valued. Those that feel that they are unloved feel loved. Those that feel that they're not welcome feel welcome. My heart for every one of our leaders here and our pastors and our team at Word of Life is that we would make everybody in the room feel valued, no matter who they are, where they're at, how they came in, how they got here, how old they are, that everyone would feel valued. And I've been in situations where I didn't feel valued. I've been in green rooms with other speakers and I've watched them come in and not even talk to me because they don't know. And so they just walk in and they don't say hello. They just say, oh, your staff, and they feel like they cannot talk to you. I've taken a note. They're never going to preach here, by the way. I I know who they are. And I'm thinking to myself, you couldn't even say hello. I've made it my responsibility that if I'm going somewhere to preach or minister, and they've got people who are helping, I'm going to make sure I go in and talk to everybody in the room. Other than I got to the point now where I don't know the staff, uh, but when I, at Champion Center in Tacoma, I don't know most of the people on staff now, so this is a little harder to do because they just think I'm a random stranger. But when everybody knew me, I would go to the conference, and I would find myself in the kitchen talking to the chef, I'd find myself in the the back area talking to the staff, serving meals. I would go into the uh, area where they would do security and talk to the security people. Why? To make myself feel good? No, it's just what we're supposed to do. This is who we're supposed to be. When people hang around you, they should feel unbelievably valued. They should feel like you make them feel like they matter. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you, whoever would be great. In other words, if you want to be great. Now, the word great here means large in bodily size. It means mature. It means, uh, to be, to grow and to be strong. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to become little. If you want to be the bigger person, then you have to become the smallest person. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here Jesus acknowledges the power ratio is disproportionate between him and the disciples. He starts off, even the Son of Man, me, I know who I am, the Son of God, I've become the Son of Man, I'm acknowledging my position. And I'm using my position as an illustration on how I want you to respond in a servant attitude. I am God, but I become man. I am spirit, but I become flesh. He who was rich became poor, so we who are poor can become rich. He who knew no sin took on our sin, so we who are full of sin could be free from sin. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men could become the sons and daughters of God. It's the great exchange of grace. The insecurity of the disciples are manifest. It manifests in their debating which one is going to be uh, the greatest in the kingdom. It manifests in John and James trying to curry favor with Jesus and get a position on the leadership team, on the right hand, on, on the left hand, and. It also manifests in their inability to get Jesus' illustration about being the least. In chapter 9, Jesus grabs a child, brings a child in, embraces a child, loves on the child, makes the child the focus. In chapter 10, they're bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuke them. So they didn't get it. They They didn't get this principle that if you want to be great then you need to become a servant of all. Everyone say, of all. all. So we've been addressing this whole concept of serving of all. We talked in the first week about serving up, serving those you are following. Last week, we talked about serving beside. We talked about serving with those who are leading with you. And this week, I want to talk about serving out, serving those you are leading or those you are influencing. When you serve up, you increase your authority and your platform to make a bigger impact. Jesus came and said to them, all authority, you want to say all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus said serving up doesn't diminish your authority, it actually increases your authority. Authority is delegated. They're asking Jesus all the time, by what authority do you say these things? We recognize you have authority. Where does it come from? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When you serve beside, you increase your opportunity for influence through personal investment. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus takes his authority, and then he empowers the disciples with authority. So he says, I have authority, now I'm sending you out in authority as a team, and I want you to serve beside with other people, and if you can serve together as a team, it's not just about you, then you can maximize your opportunity." When you serve out, you increase your leadership footprint through strategic opportunity. Bible says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Jesus telling the disciples. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Serving increases your impact and it multiplies your your investment. If you're willing to make yourself small, then God can do big things out of you. The servant of all mindset is expressed in serving up, serving beside, and serving out. I want to talk a little bit about that today, serving out. Sat down, called the 12, said to them, if, you, if anyone would be first, if you would be first, you must be last. Everyone say must be last. And you must be a servant of all. If anyone would, that's the decision. He must, that's the action. So if anyone would, that's the mentality, makes the decision, he must, that's the action. The decision is, I serve out because I want to expand my impact, I want to lead, I want to be salt, I want to be light. The action is, I must be least, I must make myself least and I have to position myself to be able to serve all or to be able to serve out. Now, the servant heart at any level is only really tested when someone treats you like a servant. Like we can all think that we have a servant heart, but the only way that you really know you have a servant heart is when someone treats you like a servant and then how you process that. When someone treats you like you have no value, when someone treats you like, when someone, when you're serving somebody and they have no, how you respond determines whether or not you have a servant heart. In in, in ministry, we, we have to develop leaders to be able to lead with this mentality. And it's challenging. Back in the 80s, you could do internships and people would work for the church and young people wanted to be in ministry and whatever it takes, they'd work a full-time job. They would come to the church. They would serve for free. They would do internships. I think at one point at South city uh, Christian life center, we had like eight different interns serving. And, but, but today that's super hard because no one wants to serve for free. Young people want to do, an internship and be paid to do the internship because I feel like, well, I'm I'm, I'm doing the work. I should be paid to do the work. And I, I get the principle, but I totally disagree with the outcome. Because if you can't serve and you can't give and you can't lay your life down, your, your longevity in ministry is short. You've got to be able to serve somebody else. Whether it's up, out, or down, you have to be able to serve somebody else. I had a, an intern, and his job was to wash my car once a week. That was the only thing I asked him to do, to serve me. Just wash my car once a week. And, and the people in the church had an issue. Like, you may have an issue with that. He had an issue. He came to me. He's like, hey, people have been talking to me. Why am I washing your car? And I'm like, well, you must struggle with the idea. Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm really struggling. Why do I have to wash your car? And I'm like, because it's dirty. And, and he's like, well, why can't you wash your car? I said, I can wash my car. Who do you think I washed my car before you were washing it? I can wash my car, and I don't need you to wash my car. Never wash my car again. I don't care if you ever wash my car again, because this is the energy I used to exert in washing my car. I would drive to the gas station. I would fill my tank with gas. They'd print me a receipt I'd drive around to the car wash. I'd pull out my receipt, and on the pad, I'd push the numbers in the pad, a little exhausted after exerting so much energy, pushing numbers in a pad. But it was OK. I had time to rest, because I would just sit in the vehicle now, and it would move through the car wash and pop out the other side, magically clean. That's all I had to do. And I'd have something to eat and drink in the car while I was going through and it was magically. So I'm like, I don't need you to serve me. It doesn't change me. But if you can't serve anybody, you can't serve up, you can't serve beside, you can't, you're not going to make it in ministry. Because in a ministry, someone's going to treat you like a servant. You're going to ex, ex-, ex- uh, just give out, life and ministry and be there I had people in my church in New Zealand who I spent hours in hospital with them praying being there when they they need just hours in hospital and then at the end they heard some rumor didn't even ask me if the rumor was true because it wasn't true it was actually a lie and they left our church why doesn't that crush me because you have a servant's heart you expect people to do those sort of things But it has to develop somewhere. We don't naturally have a servant heart, but you only know you have it when someone treats you like a servant. When you serve out, you have to embrace certain things. You have to embrace the thought that being thanked or appreciated is never an expectation. When you serve out, you have to get a mentality. These people may never thank me. They may never value what I've done, never give me a compliment, I'm just doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. We had a food bank in New Zealand, and Jim and Lynn Lawton ran it for about a decade, and I asked them once, out of all the food parcels you've given away, and all the times that you've turned up early to set it up and spent your own time distributing food to the poor, how many times did people ever thank you? Zero. They never had one person ever say thank you. Why? Because you're the church. You're supposed to feed the poor. We're the poor. We're supposed to be fed. So you're just doing what you should do. Why should I thank you? That's the mentality. No concept of how the food came, how the food got set up, the distribution of the food. All they do is they walk in, they got their package, they walked out, but other people are there all day setting that up for them to be able to get what they got. But to do the serving, you just have to go in with the understanding, probably no one's ever going to thank you. Jesus healed 10 lepers and nine of them walked away without saying thank you. It's just part and parcel of serving. When someone treats you like a servant, you've got to be able to respond like a servant with a servant's heart. When you serve out, you have to embrace the fact that considering how you feel or your needs will never be on that person's radar. Somebody in need is rarely thinking about you. They're only thinking about them. A prophet's only without honor in his own country. In other words, when people just feel like you're common, they don't feel like they have to give you any value. When you serve out you have to embrace the feeling that, that you can be the answer of some need but you cannot be the answer to all need. Jesus said, "You always have the poor with you." I think to me that's probably one of the greatest challenges of ministry It's just seeing need and realizing we can, we can make a small difference we're going to try to make the biggest difference we can but a need here. And a, I was in Ghana. I went up to uh, Tamale. And the need there is just that we looked at the church planning opportunity just one community, just one little community in a city. And we're trying to meet need here. But there's need all around the city. But then if you drive, Anywhere in Ghana, you're going to find need. Anywhere in Africa, you're going to find need. You just go to Bulgaria, you're going to find need. We're going to El Salvador to meet need. Everywhere you go. In America, there's need. So as as we serve out, you have to realize we can't do everything, but we have to do something. We can't answer every question, but we have to answer some. And it begins by us being servants of all. When you serve out, you have to embrace the feeling or the thought uh, that you are dealing with that feeling that sometimes you're just really spitting in a hurricane. In other words, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can, but I'm not really sure I'm going to move the needle. Some people's lives are like that. You can invest and you can invest and you can invest and you can invest. That's what we're called to do. And they never change. We had a man in our church in New Zealand, his name was Selwyn, and Selwyn was an, an older gentleman, and I think he'd been to every church in town. He was with us for like four to five years, the longest he'd been in any church, he was with us. And Selwyn had issues that pretty much could never be answered. We tried to, we tried to answer most of them, and, and it was a spitting in a hurricane, it was, it was a big job. Uh... But all I could do was listen to him. That was, that was probably the best thing I could do. He just wanted somebody to listen to him. And so Selwyn would call me sometimes one, sometimes three times a week at the church office. And the conversations were always the same. They were long. They went for about 45 to 50 minutes. And they were the same thing. He would be like, Pastor John, Pastor John, Pastor John, Pastor John, Pastor John, Pastor John, Pastor John. Pastor John. You're a manic I don't know who you are, Pastor John. I don't know. My wife, my wife, my wife is beating me up. My wife is beating me up. up? And, And it was the same story. None of it was true. We tried, we'd been to his house, tried to help him. And he would talk. And so what I would do is, is I didn't have the time just to sit and listen to the exact same story three times a week, every week for five years. So I would take the phone, I would just put it on, on the side of my desk, I would leave it up, put on speaker, and I just continue to work. And every now and then I would just, oh man, that's terrible. Because <laughs> I could hear what he's saying, I know what he's gonna say. And and I'd get to the end of the 45 minutes and I'd say, hey Selwyn, can I pray for you? You're like, please pray, please, please pray. And then I'd pray for him and he'd be good. Thank you, Pastor. I love you, Pastor, I love you And he'd hung up. And I did that for about four or five years. But I remember I had a a a PA, secretary, work for me. And she was in my office when someone called, and I did that. And she was disgusted, like maybe some of you are right now, watching online, you're like you're an evil man. You're going to write an evil report on me. And she, and she was disgusted. She's like, I think that's terrible. I said, Well, easy. You've got him. For the next few weeks, you take his call. You be the person that listens. Remember, I've been doing that for four years, but we'll see how long you last. 3 days I think it was 3 days she lasted for 3 days and she came back oh, I'm sorry I ever... take the calls back <laughs> cuz sometimes you just you got to do your best you got to love on people but you got to you're just going to realize that that sometimes nothing really is going to change but the thing that we can do is at least make that person feel important and valued there was never a time that he, that he never felt valued. And there was never a time that if he needed help, we wouldn't help him. But we just knew we're going to be there despite the fact that we're never going to make a change. We're called to serve. We're called to give. We're called to lay our life down. But we have to understand there may never ever be a change, but we're going to do it anyway. In, in how can we serve? What, what ways can we serve out? Well, I would suggest this. Number one, I'm serving out when I serve outside my comfort zone. I serve out when I'm serving outside my comfort level. Jesus takes a child, brings a child into the middle. This is way outside the disciples' comfort zone. They're like, we really like hanging with you, Jesus, because you're like important and doing miracles and crazy stuff. And we like it because everyone else thinks that we're cool. Like, even thousands of years from now, people are gonna probably talking about the disciples, because they're like pretty important. But why do you want us to hang around with this, this, this kid? Like, like, this, this, I'm not, we're not good with this. And Jesus makes them totally uncomfortable. He's like, get used to it, boys. This is ministry. Ministry is serving outside your comfort level. When I was a, uh, just a, a boy, my mom and dad went to All Saints Preston Church in Melbourne, or an Anglican church. And we were called to go in our community. We live in a fairly uh rough community, and we're called to go out in our community and, and serve. And we went to this one house that was a disaster. I can't tell you how bad it was, because some of you would get ill, but it had dirty diapers, just it was just terrible. Now my dad was in the military, he was in the air force. My dad had the, you know, the wardrobe with every blue shirt starched and lined up every white shirt Starched nothing it was all color-coded to the day he died he was, his wardrobe was, was he pack a bag to go out everything was lined up my my bag oh, everything in the bag my dad was not like and so we went into this this is outside his comfort zone I remember how I remember how uh, awkward he felt going in but he served anyway that's what serving does. It takes you outside your comfort zone. Sometimes it will put you in incredibly scary situations. I pastored in Manukau City. It is probably one of the roughest areas in New Zealand. And there are a lot of gangs, more, more now than there were back then. But we had a guy in our church. His name was Brian Kairau. Really cool guy, but a beast of a human. I remember him grabbing me one day and swinging me, and I was like a little rag doll just floating in the air. He was, And he was a part of Black Power. All his family were a part of their gang. He was an ex-gang member. And his brother got hit by a car. And his brother was in the gang. And his brother was on life support. The doctors wanted to take him off life support. Brian's in there. His family's in the hospital room. All these gang members patched. Gang members are in the room with Brian and the hospital staff are terrified because Brian is going to kill anybody that takes his brother off life support. So his mother calls me and says, hey, can you send Pastor John down to the hospital? Someone needs to talk sense into Brian. I preach Sunday morning. This is between service. I got Sunday night service. I think I'm still in like a suit and I trot down To the hospital, I walk into this room that's full of patch gang members, and I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm. You don't get any whiter than me. (laughs) They did my DNA. I, I am fifty point one percent Scottish, Welsh, or Irish, and forty nine point nine percent English. I'm a whole new category of white. I'm borderline opaque. (laughs) And so I'm, 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 I'm in a suit. I, I don't, and I walk into the room and these people are looking at me like, why are you in the room? And I look at Brian and go, Brian, get out of here. And Brian comes out and they all think to themselves, the man's a ninja. Like they're trying to work out where I've got all this authority from. And I am am scared for my life. I'm not sure how this is going to go down. You walk into those situations that are, I'm not sure if I'm going to win or lose here, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Why? Because we're here to serve out. It's what God's called us to do. You've got to serve outside your comfort zone. Word of life has definitely got me serving outside my comfort zone. Prior to coming here, I had the mandate of missions without needles. Doesn't that sound good? Missions without needles—that was my mandate. If I could do missions as long as I didn't need to get get needles, then I would do it. And then, then God calls us to Ghana. Well, you got to be like a pincushion. Got yellow fever and typhoid and. You've got to walk around spraying yourself with DEET all week and swallow malaria pills. This wasn't how I planned to do missions. I I, I feel like missions, people need the gospel in Hawaii. Someone in France, Paris, France, needs the gospel. But if you want to serve out, you've got to get outside your comfort zone. If you want to serve out, you serve out. Beside your cultural preferences. That's one of the things I love about Word of Life is that we have so many cultures here today, so many cultures celebrating, so great that we could celebrate our African family today. They made me this uh, outfit in Ghana in February. I'm like, am I ever going to get a chance to wear it? And then I thought, I know where I can wear it. So it's been in my closet waiting for... Today, I love the fact that we are so many different cultures. And Jesus said that to the disciples. So I'm going to make it uncomfortable for you. Go to Jerusalem. They're like, awesome. We love that. That's good. That's that's home. Go to Judea. Okay. That's cool. Go to Samaria. "Ah." Not so cool. We don't really like those people. Go to the outermost parts of the earth. Go out and minister to the Gentiles. And we know for the church, for the early church, that cultural challenge was divisive in the church because we like to minister out of our culture. Just today, just here today, there are people from Ghana, there are people from Africa that say, pastor, we love the way you're dressed today. There are people online watching right now and they're going to go, that's a woke church. The pastor's wearing a dress. This is how it's gonna happen. But 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 we're gonna we to learn how to minister out of our cultural comforts. We're to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. I place my culture as being small so I can make your cultural values big. We are one church here and many languages. That should mean what? We are one church and many lunch opportunities. We are one church, many cuisine opportunities. When was the last time you, at church, stepped out of your culture and talked to somebody else who doesn't look like you, doesn't have your accent, or who doesn't eat your food? I I would hope that we're not one church of many languages and we speak our languages in our own little groups. But we we would cross the aisle and we'd meet people and, and get to do relationship with people that we wouldn't normally get. Because that's not how humanity normally does it. You normally move to a country, you find everybody that thinks like you, talks like you, sounds like you, eats like you, and live there. The beauty of the church is that we're not supposed to be like that. But all over America, there are churches that are purely people that think like them, talk like them, look like them, behave like them. Everything happens in that culture exactly the same every week. I love that our unity can be based in our diversity. And I think that we all become better because of that. I'm serving out when I serve outside my capacity. It can be overwhelming to serve, feeling inadequate, feel less than capable, and and sometimes it's hard to serve when we personally think that someone needs to help us. But I want to encourage you. Every one of us can find someone in need. I am serving out when I serve outside my flesh. I want to be great. The premise is, It's your call. If you want to be great, then you've got to make yourself least. Now, the flesh doesn't want to make itself least. It wants to make itself great. Our flesh wants to be served. Our flesh doesn't want to do the serving. And the truth is you never have to serve. Serving is always a choice. If, if, if you want, if you want, the choice is yours. If you want, but you don't have to. If you want to be great, then become a servant. But God's like, it's always your choice to serve. You can leave here today. You don't care. I, I, you're going to keep doing what you're going to do. It's your choice. I can't make you serve. But I would suggest this to you. The moment you decide, I don't want to do it, God will raise somebody up that can do it. God has no issue bypassing you and finding somebody willing to do it. The choice is yours. I would suggest you do it so no one else gets your reward. When the going got tough, the disciples got going. They bolted. And so when Jesus stumbled at the cross, they had to, God had to get a stranger to... Help Jesus carry his cross. The disciples didn't help bury Jesus. Judas wasn't there to plant the early church. And when God wanted the church planted, this is what he said. He said, Who's going to take Judas's place? Well, what's the qualification for this apostle? They have to be there since the baptism of John, and they have to be there at the ascension. What are they saying? You have to be there all of Matthew, all of Mark, all of Luke, all of John. You have to be there in every gospel from when Jesus was baptized until the ascension. And then they said, Oh, we've got two, Justice and Matthias. Find their name in a, in a, in a gospel. They're in every gospel, but they're in no gospels. They're there all the time. They never get prominence they never get a name they're they're not standing beside Jesus trying to find out if one could be on his right and one on the left you don't even see them going up to Jesus at any point and say hey Jesus if one of these guys go sideways how about you put us in the team they're just there, faithfully serving in the background and when Judas who should have been there wasn't there Why? Because he bought a field with the wages of iniquity, he fell headlong, he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out, he made a decision that messed up his life because he stepped out and did it his way without serving the vision of Jesus, God just raised somebody up to take his reward as one of the apostolic team to plant the church. Judas should have been there on the day of Pentecost, and he wasn't. He missed the opportunity. But someone just serving in the background. God says to you, "I'll give you the opportunity to serve, but if you don't do it, I'll raise somebody up who will do it." As a pastor, that 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 to me is like God. We want to be where you want us to be as a church. We're not going to settle down. We're not going to sit. We're not going to tread water. We're not going to spend our time living in the past. We've celebrated it. We've honored it. We love it. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the past. But we are not living in the past. We are moving into the future. We're not talking about how great we used to be or what we used to do or how awesome it used to be in the kingdom of God. No, today is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it. This is our moment. This is our time. I don't care how you serve 10 years from today back in the past. What are you doing today? You got great testimonies from 20 years ago, but what about a testimony today? How are we serving the kingdom of God today? And if we don't, God will just raise up another church to do it. He'll bypass us in a heartbeat. I don't even think the heart will beat. God says, I've got an agenda. I've got a job to do. I'll give you the opportunity, take it, or I'll bypass it and give it to somebody else. I'm like, God, I don't want you to give it to somebody else until I'm in heaven. I, I want to encourage you to say, God, use me. Come on, say that right now. Say, God, use me. God, use me in your kingdom right now. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant of all. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the servant of all mindset. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God to something to be grasped. So this is the self-confidence and the assurance that it takes for the servant of all mindset. It goes on and says, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Right here, this is the humility that it takes demonstrated by Jesus to be the servant of all. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the humility gives us the capacity to make the decision to serve all. Therefore, everyone say, therefore therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father if you go low God will take you high this is the result of humility Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility elevates you to greater areas of authority to empower you to be a better leader of all, serve with others and impact the world around you, our serving up, Increases our authority, our serving beside, increases our ability, and our serving out increases our impact and our influence. I'm not sure about you, but I say, God, I want you to increase our impact and influence. I want you to have your way in our life. Here I am, Lord, use me. That's our prayer. Will you stand together and give the Lord a great round of applause right now? Come on, right across this face. God, come on, tell God, use me, God, use me. Here I am, God, use me. Here I am. Come on, open your hands right now. Open your heart to God. Pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I open my heart to you. I humble myself in your sight. I want to be a servant of all. Areas in my life where I struggle to serve, please help me. I'm not perfect, I don't have it all together, and the areas I need to change, please change me from the inside out.